Hey, and welcome to the Hypothalamic Amenorrhea Podcast, an adulting advice podcast production. I'm Danny Sheriff, and this is the place to come if you care about getting your period regularly. This podcast aims to educate, inform, and keep you motivated on your period and HA recovery track. Let's dive in. Quick disclaimer, guys, I am not a doctor and this content is not intended to be a substitute for professional medical advice. Always seek the advice of your physician. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the HA podcast. Today, I am here with my friend, Sarah, Sarah Liz King. She is an exercise physiologist, amongst other things. Welcome, Sarah. Thank you so much for having me. This show, I... I have conversations with all different professionals in different areas to talk about HA from their perspective and answer questions that maybe you're a specialist in. So I think it would be best for you to tell the listeners who you are and what you do. Yeah, definitely. So like you mentioned before, I am an exercise physiologist and a health coach, and I specialize in helping women recover their periods and improve their relationship with food, fitness, and their bodies. So I really focusing on body image and body confidence. Um, and I guess people, are, they always kind of go like, oh, what, what is an exercise physiologist? Mm-hmm. It just means that we have done um, specialist training So I have a four-year degree at university and we learn how to manage chronic diseases, health conditions, or help our clients improve or overcome them through exercise and lifestyle changes. So I feel like that makes you a very good person to have on the show. We typically on this topic talk a lot to nutritionists and dietitians, and that's all great, but I love getting to chat about like the the human body exercise energy output side of things. Yes. Um, and a lot of people are really curious about that. So we have some cool questions lined up to dig into your brain a little bit. Um, are you ready? I am so pumped. I could talk about this topic for days and days. Yay. Um, well, with that, uh, we should share, you have had your own HA um, journey before. So yes. you're not just a practitioner, but you're also like what yeah. a victim. <laughs> I've, I've lived the experience and I think why I'm so passionate about it is there was no information or I really couldn't find credible information for when I was going through it. And the majority of the time, the information I got was like, oh, just like eat anything and everything and just don't exercise. And I was like, well, I'm going to go a bit crazy if I do that. So I need to find out what it is my body actually needs. And I think that's why I'm so passionate about it because there is no one size fits all approach to healing this condition. Right. So you really believe in an individualized approach to healing? Yes. Yes, of course. I love that. I think that that's the, the way that HA protocol is going to go. Um, more just like anything, right? Individual blood tests, individual lifestyle assessment. What do you need? Um, Okay, cool. So with that, what makes you different to a practitioner, like a a registered dietitian or nutritionist? Like what is it exactly that differentiates what you do? 
That's a really great question. So like I said before, exercise physiologists are trained Mm -hmm. specifically in exercise prescription, but we are also allied health professionals. So I do a lot of health coaching. I consider myself a health coach. And that means, so I guess people hear the term health coaching and they're not really sure what that actually means. So health coaching is a process of facilitating behavior change and it uses techniques from behavioral medicine research, positive psychology, um, health and coaching psychology, athletic and performance coaching. It kind of encompasses all these different factors and really helps the person adopt new habits but also the accompanying mindset that they need to make those habits stick long-term because we know that we could give people the perfect plan, but a plan isn't enough. We actually have to dive deeper and go, what are you afraid of? What are your fears? What are your worries? And once we're able to really touch on those, then the true change can happen and people see themselves not just adopting these habits short term, but being able to stick with them long term. So I guess that is what sets me apart initially, not to say that other health practitioners don't do that as well. But I guess in terms of the nutrition side of things, from an exercise perspective, I am very aware of making sure that my clients know specific protocols they kind of have to follow during HA recovery so that they can keep exercise a part of their life. So that's talking about like pre and post-workout nutrition and making sure that they don't fall into like micro deficits throughout the day. So they're not going long periods of time without eating. They're not training Mm -hmm. fasted. And I guess the only difference is I'm not a dietitian. I am studying for like my nutrition certification through ISSN, which is crazy hard, but um, I, I don't prescribe meal plans. So I give people general guidance and advice um, and help them to improve the quality of their diet and the foods that they're eating. I really actually want to dive into um, a question that came up from something you just said, but before mm-hmm. we do, would you do me such an honor in explaining to the listeners in your words what hypothalamic amenorrhea actually is? Yes. Yes. So I'm sure you've had lots of definitions before, but um, in the medical world, hypothalamic amenorrhea is called functional hypothalamic amenorrhea, but we know it as HA. Mm -hmm. And it occurs when the hypothalamus slows or stops the release of gonadotropin releasing hormone. And HA is actually a diagnosis of exclusion, which means that your primary health practitioner should rule out anything that's going on with with your anatomy or other organic disease. And in a really simple way, HA is a condition where the the body perceives too much stress and it doesn't feel safe. So it shuts down the process of reproduction and it also downregulates other non-essential processes. Um, These stresses can be physical stresses from too much exercise, not eating enough or the right types of fuel, having a low body weight or body fat percentage. However, in saying that, it affects women of any size and any shape. It doesn't necessarily mean that you have to be at a low weight 
to have this problem. So I don't want to stress that point too strongly on the body weight and body fat percentage, but Mm -hmm. it can be a factor. And then the last thing is it can actually happen from emotional stress. But for some, most people, it's kind of a combination of all of those factors. Mm. Yeah. Awesome. That was a fantastic explanation. Thank you. I like to get someone to do that every few episodes in case someone's just tuning in for the first time. Yeah. So awesome. Okay. You mentioned the word micro deficit and I was just like, oh, people need to know about this. So something that was really prominent for me and it kind of, I think for me, went with the fact that I wasn't very lean, right? HA happened to me in a quote unquote normal size body. But I think that I was in deficits from things like fasting and stuff more frequently and in a bit of a binge and restrict cycle. So I think that's what you mean by micro deficits. But I know a lot of women are confused because they're like, I'm never in a long-term deficit. I I end up overeating on the weekends or at night all the time. Like, so why do I have HA? I'm getting the calories. Could you talk a little bit about micro deficits? Yeah, sure. And, you know, this is such a common problem. And I spoke at length about this on another podcast that I did um, recently, which was one about talking about lifestyle, exercise, nutrition recommendations for HA. Um, So I'll be sure to give you that link as well. But basically to bring your body out of hibernation, to bring your menstrual cycle out of hibernation, the number one factor that you need is obviously to reverse the low energy availability. So what you said before is like, you know, a lot of women are like, oh, but I eat enough. Eating enough, unfortunately, is not enough. You have to make sure that your body is sufficiently fueled at regular intervals throughout the day. So it's not to say that you can't recover if you skip one snack or you miss it. But for your body to feel safe, one of your hormones called luteinizing hormone is pulsatile. It's pulsatile in the fact that it is linked with insulin. So the more regular blood sugars you have, the more likely it is that that pulsatility returns and that you're able to get that re-regulation of your hormones again. So if you are someone, for example, that has dinner at nighttime, you eat your last maybe dessert at around eight o'clock and then you fall asleep and in the morning you decide to get up and because you have a busy day, you are going to do your exercise first thing and you do your exercise. Let's say you do a weight session or a HIIT workout or whatever you decide to do. Maybe it's even just go for a walk and then you don't end up eating breakfast until 9.30. Your body has gone for a really long time without food which pushes you into a bit of a deficit. And it might take you more than just breakfast to get back out of that. And again, that can happen at other touch points throughout the day. And for some reason, it tends to delay or prolong the period it takes you to recover your period. Um, And the other thing to consider is, yes, calories important. The second thing is having regular meals and snacks to make sure you've got good even blood sugar levels. And the third thing is, Even women who have sufficient calorie intake, but 
tend to restrict carbohydrates, so following a low-carbohydrate lifestyle, also tend to not recover their period quick enough because carbohydrates are essentially something that our body and reproductive system really, really needs. So that kind of lifestyle, especially for an active woman, is not necessarily advantageous, especially if you're active as well, because your body needs carbs for fuel. That just really helps add some context or like even some science behind this whole, you know, eating regularly concept, which for me was really tough. And um, for a lot of people with HA, I, I think breakfast skippers or delayers, you know, people who work out earlier or hold off having breakfast or something like that is probably pretty common. And a lot of people's protocols when they work with a, a, pro, a professional is like, when you wake up, break the fast, eat straight away. And so that just was really helpful to explain the why behind that. So thank you. You're welcome. Okay. I have a hypothetical for you just to help with some more context behind how someone might work with uh, someone like you, a health coach or an exercise physiologist. If you get a client who comes in to you presenting HA symptoms, so maybe they don't even know that they what they have exactly. They just have these symptoms. They don't have period. They're feeling certain ways. What do you do? What are you looking for? What are your next steps? So I think, you know, the first step and kind of what I do with every client is you, you're taking a really thorough health history. You're incredibly curious and non-judgmental in the way that you ask questions, which is so essential because you want to really create a safe space, especially when talking about something like periods or hormones, which not every single person feels 100% comfortable with. So I'll ask questions like, when did your period first go missing? Like, was it after a period of stress or weight loss? You know, did you have a change in your diet or your exercise regime before your period became irregular or missing? And then talking about things like I just mentioned before, like, do you follow a low carb or keto kind of lifestyle? Do you intermittent fast? Have you increased the volume and intensity of your training? Then you kind of go into other symptoms like do you have a low libido do you feel cold all the time and those those can kind of start to give clues about what is going on and a lot of the time I will ask them like have you had a recent blood test because making sure that they have had one you know a lot of people are like oh like I got diagnosed with let's take PCOS for instance at 17 and I was like well you can kind of grow out of this condition it doesn't always stick around forever so a blood test is really important because there can be other reasons why someone's period goes missing and you don't want to miss that so it's working with them working with their gp and also understanding about them and their history in order to get a true sense of what is going on for them do you order blood work or is that something you personally refer out to so it's something that I refer out to um, as an allied health professional people can see me in Australia under the Medicare scheme so sometimes a doctor will refer a client to me now I mostly practice privately so that doesn't happen as much but I'll say you need to go to your GP and you need to order these tests 
But the reasons why it's easier to get that in Australia is because if you have that primary criteria of irregular periods, those hormone tests that I'm asking for will be covered. And you're also making sure there's no thyroid issues going on uh, and looking at a couple of other things as well. Yeah, I had a feeling, I think for the most part, whoever you work with, with HA, because it's kind of tough at the moment to go just to your doctor to get the support that you need for HA. So a lot of people are going private, working with people like you, people who have it on their list of services. And so right now working with someone who knows what they're doing and just utilizing your insurance or however you can get your blood work really is the best way. There's very few um, I guess registered dietitians are, are the next closest thing to someone who might be able to do it all. Yeah. Okay, yeah. cool. I was just curious. I get a lot of questions about blood work. I'm like, ah, I don't know. Yeah. And it varies so much depending on what country you're in and also, mm-hmm. yeah, what your health system is like there and insurance. Yeah. So I would like to take a moment to talk about men versus women. What particularly when it comes to eating and exercise, like, are we really so different? You know, when are we just little men? If not, why? Like what's important for us to keep in mind when we're comparing ourselves to our male counterparts? Yes. And I love this question. So thank you so much for bringing it up. (laughs) So a lot of the time, you know, we look at these like exercise and eating plans and it's, it feels like a cookie cutter version of a man's like bodybuilding program the difference between men and women is men are physiologically the same every day their hormones don't fluctuate in the same way that a woman with a healthy menstrual cycle her hormones will fluctuate throughout the month and the different variations in hormone fluctuations can actually affect things like our ability to tap into different energy systems So that can really mean a woman's ability to perform, for instance, say a sprint session or something where a lot of power is involved, which means, you know, doing something heavy explosively. That will be really great at certain times of the month. So for instance, in that first phase of the menstrual cycle, so that follicular phase and really rubbish in the second half. So your luteal phase. So same with strength. So as you reach a peak towards ovulation, you'll have great strength. You'll be, you know, hitting your PBs and all the rest of it. And then once you go into your luteal phase, which is really a high hormone phase, you might find it more difficult. You might feel more fatigued. You might feel like even though last week you were absolutely killing it in the gym, this week it just feels like more of a struggle. And that's because physiologically you have changed. Now, There hasn't been a huge amount of research and science around training around your menstrual cycle, but it is improving and it is so great to see because women are really embracing their physiology and using it in a way that that can actually aid their performance. So the way that they're structuring their workouts throughout the month, um, especially when it comes to sporting and performance is so advantageous to their overall outcome, say working for or working towards an event or towards a game or towards hitting that PB. It can really, really make a difference. So you hear a lot of people talk about um, 
I guess, cycling their workouts or their routines with their period, which is great. I, I mean, the concept of structuring your workout regime or even your work regime and like how you, where you place creative work and deep work and stuff in the month around your cycle. Um, that's all really, really cool and super interesting. And I just like to take this opportunity as well to point out, you know, although not everyone can do that all of yeah. the time. So um, for me, it's just having that information in itself more so just creates the ability to give yourself grace. You yes. understand why you're feeling this way in those workouts, why you're not performing as good as you did a week ago or two weeks ago and how, and then noticing as well these patterns. Oh yeah, last month I went through a similar groove and then you and- just like, beat yourself up a little less. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I always like to say to people, science is great. You should always understand the science and it can really help guide you in making certain decisions or structuring your program if that's what you want for yourself. But never neglect your own experiences as well. You could be in the first half of your cycle and still have shitty workouts. Mm-hmm. Like you just have to check in with your body. And if you feel energy-wise like less than a 5 out of 10, kind of take stock of like, okay, well, what's going on for me that I feel so tired, so drained? Because a lot of the time we blame hormones for everything. And it might not always be hormones. It might be stress or lack of sleep or something else. So even though we know all this wonderful information Never neglect just listening to how your body feels on the day. And like you said, don't beat yourself up. Like working out should be for life. And if you're being consistent, even if you have to, you know, lower the intensity or take a day off, it is not the end of the world. Yeah, totally. Hey, are you trying to recover and maybe even fall pregnant naturally? I thought that might be you. And if so, we have created our best ever yet resource for you. Totally free. This is a masterclass. I've called it my masterclass because I have put everything into this, right? This masterclass is designed for you if you have HA or have had HA and are dealing with suboptimal cycles and you're serious about restoring those babies to full optimization and you want to create the ideal foundation for a pregnancy. This is going to be for you. So in this masterclass, I'm going to provide you a lot of things, including a lot of case studies, mine, Ashley's and Mishi's, as well as lots of our past clients and what their challenges were and what they had to do to overcome it. And we cover a really wide variety of types of cases of HA. So everything from primary amenorrhea and missing periods for years and years to short-term amenorrhea and what we did to handle that situation as well and how long it took these people to go from HA to pregnant with this system and how long it took them to go from HA to ovulating of course with this system so lots of information lots of case studies lots of stats we go through why this is not a weight gain plan and how we actually divide you into phases the three phases of HA and determine what your starting point is so that you have a good idea of where you need to start with your actual changes and lifestyle and nutrition changes. 
We even cover questions like HA and people with a normal BMI and recovery for people who have had HA for too long. There's so much in this 60-minute masterclass. Y'all, I'm impressed. And at the end, I'll also be running you through how to get a free HTMA, hair tissue mineral analysis through us, which is a part of our process for recovery and preconception clients that we're happily going to give you for free 99 as a massive thank you, of course, for joining the masterclass. So go to the hasociety.com forward slash masterclass or head to our website and you'll find a link for it and find when the next available presentation is going to be. That's thehasociety.com forward slash masterclass. I mean, just before the call, you and I were talking about not getting great sleep recently. And this morning I was saying I woke up at 2.45 a.m. this morning for some bizarre reason. So right now, to give myself grace, because it's currently 5.30 p.m. now, I'm holding on for dear life. <laughs> but I am podcasting from bed. <laughs> and, yes. you know, you just give these trade-offs and, you know, I'm not going to work out super hard, if at all. Just as you start to learn how to balance it and very important. Okay, next question. Red S, or I believe formerly known as female athlete triad. Correct. Yeah. Can we talk about that for our listeners who love themselves some sport and exercise and running? Yeah. So red S stands for relative energy deficiency in sport. It's a bit of a mouthful. And like you said, the concept was previously known as female athlete triad. And the reason that they kind of gave it that name was it they saw in mostly active women who had three kind of main criteria, which was low energy availability, menstrual dysfunction, and low bone mineral density. However, they also started to understand that it wasn't just women who were impacted by low energy availability, potentially disordered eating, um, and kind of gonadotropic issues that men were affected as well. So Red S was developed to kind of encompass this low energy availability status in both physically active men and women. So it is more, it is more easily identified in women because you can kind of notice when menstrual dysfunction starts to happen. And you can also really gauge that nutritional intake to see if that energy intake isn't sufficient for the amount that they're expending. But you can also ask men the same kinds of questions. Um, And if someone, or if you're suspecting that someone or yourself listening to this might have red ass, um, these are some of the kind of like common signs and symptoms. So you might have a history of overtraining or you have a real difficulty taking rest days or days off. You might have recurrent injuries, especially things like stress fractures or other stress injuries. You might feel really cold all the time, even on warm days. Disrupted sleep is also really common. So your body has a way of waking you up throughout the night. If your blood sugar levels drop too low because it doesn't want you to drop too low, it wants you to get up and go find some food and eat something. 
uh, constipation and bloating because low energy availability actually downregulates our digestive system. Um, so it can make you have IBS type symptoms. And then the problem with that is some people assume that they need to cut things out of their diet when it's actually their body needing more, more energy and more fuel. Then there's things like fear of food, fear of weight gain, you know, anxiety around eating or taking a day off, poor performance, increased fatigue. Uh, you could have a really low resting heart rate. And then that's really hard because someone was like, oh, like, you know, I'm super fit. Like, that's why I have a really low resting heart rate. But sometimes it's not the case. It's because your body is trying to conserve energy or conversely, a really high resting heart rate, which just goes to show that you're pushing yourself too much in terms of your training. And then we have those kind of like key indications of um, problems with our sexual reproductive system. So that's like missed or irregular periods in females and in males. Kind of the most common thing that we tend to find is um, there's no like spontaneous morning erection for them. So if that has been something that's been quite common for them, it might just disappear. And that is a really good question to ask. Right. It's like what's changing in your body. Yeah. And and don't always just chalk it up to like aging. Yeah. Interesting. So a, a, like a lot of the symptoms that you said, a lot of people listening are, are like, check, got that, got that, yeah. got that. And I wanted to bring Red S up because I'm curious I mean, people that have HA, how connected do you think it is to to red S? Like, of course, there are some people who can get HA because of mental stresses and, and their life, but many, many, many of these people are in sport, in training, exercising, trying to get their best times and lift their, their best weights. So do you think that people listening who are resonating with what you're saying it would be wise for them to look into if they have redis or is this something that um, like, how do I put this? Do you look into whether you have it and then seek help for redis or do you just hear the criteria say, that sounds like me, I probably have it and then continue on your way trying to self work through it by yourself. Well, interestingly, if you feel like you have either symptoms of HA or Red S, the treatment is still the same mm-hmm. because what you're really trying to do is reduce the stress on the body. So that low energy availability that is present in both HA, unless your HA is caused purely by emotional stress, which, you know, Usually there's some kind of low energy availability going on. Yeah, it's usually well. Mm. Yeah, you're really trying to work on reversing that. Now, the really important thing to kind of recognize within both of these conditions is, like I said before, it was, you know, that presence of um, lowered bone mineral density. And that's sometimes overlooked. Like, you know, we're just trying to, get someone's menstrual cycle back or improve their performance or get them to eat more. You can't have x-ray vision and see what's going on with bone health, but you actually really need to make sure that it is something that you look into as well because bone health after a certain age is much more difficult to rebuild. 
Mm. So I think regardless of whether you think you have REDS or a combination of REDS and HA, there's so much crossover because that menstrual irregularity is kind of HA kind of is a symptom mm. of REDS that the way you go about approaching both will be very similar. I think the difference in like a sporting context is really making sure that your whole coaching team is on board with you to make sure that you are fueling adequately and them also allowing you to have that reduced training schedule until you get back to 100% because a healthy hormonal system, you know, we think low energy availability or HAs only affects our reproductive system. It affects so many different organs and systems within our bodies. Like, yes, we see the missed period or the problems with maybe erectile function. You are disregarding the fact that this has an impact on your digestion and on your thyroid and probably on your mood and so many other things. So it's really, really important to make sure that you get qualified help. That would be my biggest thing. Like, of course, not everyone can afford it, but if you can get some kind of help and guidance to make sure that you're doing the right things for yourself, it is, it makes the process so much better and so much easier. So I guess that kind of answers my next question a little bit, but we'll see Mm. if you have anything to add to it. If you see a woman who's doing her best to improve her symptoms, um, I feel like I get these DMs all the time. I know you do. Um, Hey, I've been, you know, all in for ages and nothing is happening. Help. What do I do next? You know, they're doing their best, eating 2,500 calories plus every day, not doing much, going mentally insane in their head. If they're doing the fundamentals, what... I don't know, what advice do you have for those people as next steps or or is it just perseverance? Yes. So this is a really interesting one because oftentimes when I have someone who's like, I've done it all, it doesn't work for me. And I'm like, okay, let's rewind and actually see what is going on for you. And, you know, book them in for a consultation. I go like, okay, let's start from square one. You say that you're eating 2,500 calories. How are you tracking that? Are you tracking that? Are you kind of just estimating? How do you actually know? And while I don't advocate for people tracking all the time, there is some benefit to it to get a baseline to make sure that you're having sufficient nutrition. Like I said before, how are those meals spaced out? Is there sufficient carbohydrate and healthy fats in there? Or are you loading up on things that are like super high protein um, and maybe super high fiber and not really getting the energy that your body needs? And then a lot of people underestimate that, you know, they're like, oh, I'm not doing any structured exercise, but I'm walking 20,000 steps a day. And I'm like, well, that's still very active. You know, you probably need to cut that down if you're doing more than 30 minutes of any kind of physical activity, you probably need to have a look at what it is that you're doing, even if it's incidental. And you might need more than 2,500 calories. And there's so many questions to ask, so many questions to ask. But if that person is like, 
you know, we get to the end and they actually, you know, have said, yes, I've been doing 90% of the things that you have mentioned religiously for six months at least. And they're in that healthy weight range. So above a BMI of 23, or if they have previously lost weight, regain some of that weight that they might have needed to and nothing has changed, I would be sending them to an endocrinologist because you want to make sure that there's not something else going on underneath uh, and make sure that they actually get the right help. You were describing me and many other people when it's like tracking is not ideal to, to live your life and can trigger for a lot of people. But for those who tracked previously or you know, followed a diligent diet of some kind previously, you are in the habit of picking high protein foods, high fiber, uh, high fiber foods. And you're also trained to like look for ways, even if it's subconscious to reduce calorie intake. And so you also feel like if I'm not tracking, there's no way I'm under my calorie range. It's like those are the thoughts, the dialogues that people like me and I'm sure you could relate on as well, you have in our head. If I'm not tracking, I'm probably going over. But you have you're so practiced in going in being at a low calorie range, you might really surprise yourself. And that's what happened to me. I've you know discovered I was eating four hundred calories less than my estimation of what I thought I was. And so tracking for me, even just for two days, was really valuable just to give me that baseline and also that mental encouragement I needed to say, okay, you know, it's still, I'm still doing the right thing by eating more and eating more. Yes, yes. I think that's so common. People unconsciously underfuel and aren't aware of it. And tracking is a tool. And it's not a tool that you need to use religiously, but, you know, it is a good reset if you are in one of those moments where like this isn't working for me and you're like, okay, well, let's check in. Let's see what's actually going on. Awesome. We have about 15-ish minutes left, so this is going perfect. I wanted to touch on the part of your coaching that involves body image coaching it's one of the biggest roadblocks with dealing with HA. It's like the, I've said this before on the podcast, recovering from HA is easy. It's the mental part. It's the body image part that stops us in our tracks. When someone's having a negative body image day during recovery, what's just like a nice tip or two or perspective you'd like to share and tell me a little bit as well about body image coaching in general. Yes. So like you said, I think two of the biggest roadblocks in recovery is people attaching their self-worth to their physical appearance and that resulting in low self-esteem and body image issues. And then the other part is that intense fear of gaining weight and what that means because of the society that we live in. So you end up going through the motions and actually feeling better because you're fueling yourself and you're eating more and, you know, your body's coming back into getting its cycle, Mm -hmm. but it's your mind that takes so much longer to catch up. And that's why it's so essential to get that help around your body image. 
And even more so, like if we look at research and studies for people that recover from disordered eating, if you look at people who consider themselves fully recovered, they continued therapy for up to a year after their physical behaviors of their eating disorder subsided. And that was to help their mind catch up. That was to help them focus on their body image, to help them work through all of the things that their mind was still kind of struggling with. And that's why I focus so much on not only the habits of food and exercise, it's also body image and mindset. So I guess the first thing to kind of say if, you know, around tips and kind of talking about this topic is body image is fluid. So by that, I mean, it changes day to day, minute to minute. And every person on this earth, men and women have bad body image days. Mm -hmm. Even those people that you look at and go, you know, they have the perfect appearance, even they struggle. So when you're having that day, when you just feel really uncomfortable in your body, I think the most important thing is to be mindful of your language. So you'll notice that I just said, I'm feeling really uncomfortable in my body. I didn't use phrases like I'm feeling really fat or my arms are too big or whatever it is that your mind is telling you is the truth. Just bring it down to really non-emotional language, non-emotionally, non-negatively charged language. Mm-hmm. Really, I'm feeling really uncomfortable. This is a hard body image day for me. It's like I'm struggling to feel good in this earth suit because that's literally what it is. So you're naming the issue that's going on. The second thing is to actually ask, especially if you have been one of those people that has attached so much weight and worth to your appearance, is actually go, what's going on for myself? Because a lot of the time for people that have used their body as their sense of pride, it can be if something goes wrong in the day, if there's a lot of stress, if, you know, relationship issues are happening or whatever it is, we blame how we look. Oh, it would be fixed if I just fixed this body part. Oh, well, is that actually the case? Or are you just having a really hard time and you need to take better care of yourself on that day so that you can cope in a healthy way without feeling like you need to change your appearance? So that's the second thing I say. Be mindful of what you say and how you talk about having a bad body image day. Number two is ask yourself how you feel. Check in, ask yourself, what do I need today? Um, And then the third thing would be to make sure that you are aware of how much body checking you're doing and the kinds of clothes that you're wearing. So if you are having a bad body image day and then you wear something that is clinging to different parts of your body, and is making you consciously aware and drawing your attention to that, it's going to be really hard to go throughout the day nourishing yourself well and moving in a way that supports you but not overdoing it. So wear something that makes you feel comfortable and confident and at peace. Um, And, you know, I could go on and on about all the different Mm -hmm. tips, but those are really the basics to kind of get you started. And knowing that it will pass and to kind of just sit with the fact that it's okay to have a difficult day and it's okay to experience negative emotions and that it won't last forever. 
Mm -hmm. Absolutely. When you notice that you go through this wave every so often, you almost can say to it, this is such a boring thought. I mean, that's what works for me. I'm like, if I catch myself body checking or talking down to myself internally, I'll be like, what a boring waste of time thing to do for something that's just going to leave me soon anyway. And how about when you're having a really high self-perception day, bask in that, have a great time and give zero attention, like talk to the hand to those, those lower self-perception days. And doing those practices has been really, really helpful for me. Um, I love all of the tips that you gave and I hope people try them. It's like a muscle that you have to strengthen. Yeah, exactly right. And I love the way that you approach it as well. Um, it's really about giving less power to that negativity. And like you said, on those days that you feel badass in your body, yeah, ride them out. Like own those days. Over time, you will feel more of those days as well. Nice. Okay, cool. Sarah, how can people find you and how might you be able to help them if they would be interested? So the, bl- the best places to find me, I am on Instagram at Sarah Liz King and my website is the same, www.sarahlizking.com. I offer one-to-one coaching worldwide to help women recover their period, taking a very holistic approach and discussing exercise, nutrition, lifestyle, as well as body image and body confidence. So if you want to get in touch and work with me, you can just jump on my website um, and go to the health coaching tab and that'll shoot me through an email. And that's the best way to get started. I also do check my DMs if you want to hit me up and have a chat through there. Um, Otherwise, I guess the other place that people can get help is just through my podcast where there's loads of free resources. Yes. The Holistic Health Radio, right? Yes. Holistic Um, Health Radio. Yes. I'm going to put links to your podcast, to your website. Also, the podcast that you mentioned where you go into um, more about micro deficits and the episode you referenced as well earlier about men versus women. So there's going to be a bunch of resources in the show notes for people to check out. Sarah, I can't thank you enough for joining us all today. Thank you so much. Absolute pleasure. Thanks for having me on. Well, if you have made it all the way to the end of this podcast, then you are in luck because I'm going to chat to you a little bit about the waitlist for the HA Society. Have you joined it yet? This is a coming soon community for women with HA who have or who need a safe space. We're going to have message boards, community calls, and weekly sessions with mindfulness, yoga, meditation, relationship coaches, health coaches, nutritionists, everyone. There'll be opportunities for lessons and Q&As with those nutrition professionals and all coaches. I'm currently working on this platform as we speak. So you can join the waitlist at just type in thehasociety.com and you'll see the webpage. It'll have all of the details and you can join the waitlist there or depending on when you're listening to this episode, it's already open and you can go there and join now. So right now it's the beta program and that means there's going to be special pricing for the first few people 
I'm going to be pricing it pretty low with the intention of eventually being able to charge more for it once we're up and running and all of the features are open inside of the membership. I also just wanted to say that I had no intention of starting this community. Originally, I just wanted to do a podcast, but when I saw the response from the women and the DMs that I get, oh, please keep sending me your stories in the DMs. I love it when you reach out and share that kind of stuff with me. So I kept getting these responses for more support and I really just couldn't ignore it anymore. And this podcast is like just me talking and I want to connect more with you guys. So making stuff online and facilitating conversations is a huge passion of mine. So this you know, intersects all of my biggest passions and my journey in, into one amazing thing, hypothalamic amenorrhea, the society. <laughs> so again, go and join the waitlist at thehasociety.com. Be a part of the baby group. And I am so excited to see you guys in there. Have a good day.